Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is recorded on Noongar land. We'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land and extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and their elders who are listening today. We respect their spiritual relationship with their country. Have you ever wondered exactly what it is that that married man found so appealing about paying for it? Or watched the murder doco and thought, how can that monster's mother still love him? Welcome to To Be Frank, the show that invites you to step inside the world of Constance Hall as she explores the most interesting topics and people from all over the world with no BS, no filter. Now your host, Constance Hall and co-host Claudia McLeod. Hello and welcome to another episode of To Be Frank with me and Claudia. Hey, Con. Claudia's a bit sick today, guys, so you have to excuse I apologize, her. everyone. She's a bit sexy and husky. <laughs> Speaking of sexy, <laughs> couldn't help myself. We have a really, really cool guest on today. I've been wanting to interview Eddie ever since I very first met him, since before the podcast um, came to life. He's super fascinating. I met him in a really fascinating way because Eddie, remember a friend of mine had yes. cancer. Eddie's a cancer coach. And so I I decided that I was going to uh, investigate how to cure cancer like online and, you know, go through all these like different, because <laughs> I'm going to save my friend's life here. And um, I found this stuff that was called Miracle Mineral Solution and people were raving about it in forums. Anyway, so my friend who had cancer messaged me, she goes, can you just message my cancer coach and just run it past him? So um, me and him were trying to call each other and message each other. We never actually ended up talking. But then six months to a year later, my son's gone to a sleepover and I've texted the dad to say, hey, can you get my son a charger? He's addicted to his phone and can't sleep without it. And, then, <laughs> and I've seen this fucking message thread and it's Eddie. And I was like, oh my God, that's so bizarre. So that's your introduction. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. <laughs> you kind of are the go-to guy though. Like whenever I meet anyone who's had a diagnosis, I go, oh, you need to go to Eddie. And they go, someone's already mm, sent me to him. Yeah. I've been in the game for a little bit and, uh, you know, my own journey with it. You know, people like to work with someone who's been through it. So I think if I can be yeah. that person, I, I enjoy Definitely. it. And I think that is what gives you that sort of credibility. And when people hear the word cancer coach, you kind of go, oh, here we go. Like, you know, the word coach, it's just a bit it's sort pretty of. pretty overused, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, the fact that you have, this is probably the most fascinating part of your story, you've overcome stage four cancer. That's crazy. Like, can you tell us a bit about it? It was 10 days before Christmas 2013 I got diagnosed. It was a pretty crappy Christmas that year. Um, um, and so I was diagnosed. And for, for people out there that don't understand cancer too much, there's different cancers have different levels of treatability. Some 
are very treatable, but there's only a literal handful. There's literally like a count on one hand. So I had literally the most treatable cancer that you could get, which was testicular cancer. Very, very high success rate with first treatment. So I went through and I went on my little cancer journey, um, but unfortunately it came back three times and I had a two-year sort of struggle for my life. I went from stage the one. The same cancer came back three times. Yeah, it came. So I had three relapses over wow. those two years from stage one to stage four. And I was- Was it still testicular? Yeah, still, so so cancer can spread throughout the body. So you have the, the primary, which is wherever the organ is, it mm. might be in the breast or the ovary or the, or the testes or whatever it is, but then it can get into your bloodstream, your lymphatic system, and then spread to different parts. And so that's what it did with mm. me. It went up through my- Is that what stage four is? It is. So stage four is when you've got you know quite a large tumor burden in in distant areas of the body. So, you know, you might start with something like a breast cancer and it can go to your liver, it can go to your lungs, sometimes your brain as well, but it's still breast cancer. It's just in a different part of the body. Mm. So with me, I had obviously testicular cancer, but it went up my lymphatic system tract, which tracks right up through the center of the body. And so I ended up with all these deposits all the way up. So when I was at my worst, I had a, a nine centimeter by eight centimeter by three centimeter tumor in my abdomen. It was a really big, skinny, weird tumor. Um, Two in my, my chest, two in my collarbone, one in my neck, one in my lung. Um, so I had a, a fair whack of cancer in me. And in, with cancer, the more relapses you get, the harder it is to treat because you have like some strong cancer within you and some weak cancer in you. And the, your first treatments usually destroy all this weak stuff, but sometimes you get this strong stuff left behind, and this was my case. And then the next flush that comes through is even trickier to treat again. So times out by three with my journey. At the end, it was chemo-resistant. They're scratching their heads going, we don't know what to do. So it was a pretty hairy journey. You know, I, it took me overseas. It took me overseas to clinics. So each time you get it over and over again, it's harder. Right, because, yeah, that's what I would think. If someone said to me, oh, you know, I've got cancer, it's now in my lung and abdomen, like my first thought is you don't have a chance. Like, don't you? isn't that what most people would think? And so what? there's something different about you, though. Yeah, well, from a medical point of view, there is no cure for metastatic cancer. It doesn't mean people aren't being cured. There's thousands upon thousands of people worldwide that get over stage four cancer. But if you go down your standard lines of treatment from a medical perspective, once it's metastatic, which means, you know, from the primary to distant parts, all treatments are palliative, which is just give you more quantity of life. Not necessarily quality of life, but quantity. But there are people all around the world, there's books written about it, amazing work, bodies of, of, of work of people that have had these so-called radical remissions, they call them. For me, when I look at them, there's nothing radical, there's nothing spontaneous or miraculous about them. It's hard bloody work. You know, you've got to do whatever it takes. People travel all around the world, you know, to different different clinics. I went overseas and did some treatment. Um, you know, people make massive changes to their life to essentially create their own statistics, which is what you have to do when you're diagnosed with cancer. You've got to go above and beyond. Right. And so where did you go? And what did you do? I found out through a client of mine, actually, whose friend, a book was written about her. Her name was uh, Gemma Bond. And so there was a book that did the rounds. It was really in vogue for a while called Mum's Not Having Chemo. Um, she's from Perth, I believe, Laura, which is the daughter um, who wrote the book. And it, and it documented this lady's journey about choosing not not to have uh, chemotherapy. And so I was treating a friend of, of Gemma's and she told me about this little clinic in the Philippines, deep in the provinces in the Philippines, this retired academic doctor who was married to a Filipino. They were in the provinces, so they were living like absolute kings and queens because you can live off the smell of an oily rag over there. Um, and he was bored, bored as batshit. So he just opened up a hypothermia clinic, which is a heat treatment where you, you raise the body temperature up to very, very, very high temperatures like fever therapy. And so I started communicating with him and I was like, right, I'm coming over. So I went over for eight weeks with the hope of getting rid of my cancer. 
And so I spent eight weeks in there literally baking myself like a cooked chook in these hypothermia machines. So imagine you, you hop in a systemic, your head's poking out and you take your oral temperature up to 40 degrees Celsius, which is a steaming fever, really hard work. And you try to maintain that for anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes in that fever state. I was doing that three times a week and these other treatments for eight weeks, you know, really grueling, very lonely out in the provinces. My goal was to get cancer free. Alone with your thoughts. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's me, I know we haven't met in person, but I'm six foot seven, you know, I'm big guy and I think the average height of a Filipino is about four foot so here's big Gandalf walking through the shopping centers you know the whole place just stops and looks with jaws open just going what the hell is this walking in Um, but you know beautiful beautiful culture and beautiful people but I went over there with the hope that I was going to get cancer free but the opposite happened actually all my tumors tripled in size Um, I was very very unwell where were you at this point this was this was right towards my second relapse. I was sort of scratching my head, going, "I've got to do something, something more. What can I do?" And this is when you know I found out about this place and made the contact, went over in the hopes that you know this was my last chance to get myself well. By the end of the eight weeks, I wasn't feeling good. You know, I was in a lot of pain. Uh, the tumor that was in my abdomen had grown so much it was pushing my bowel up against my abdomen wall, and I'd lost a lot of weight and I, I looked pretty rough. I came back and then went to the the oncologist. We did a scan. He was really good. He supported me. He knew what I did for a living and that, you know, I had that natural bias and I needed to do this for me. And so he was super supportive. Because you're a naturopath, aren't you? I am, yeah, a naturopath. And so, you know, obviously naturopathy. I was wondering if you were a naturopath before cancer yeah, or if you became a naturopath. No, I was, I was. And yeah, I was great. treating people with cancer as well. So it's pretty funny that, um, maybe not funny is not right the word. So my oncologist, he, he was really good. He understood what I needed to do and supported me to go. But when I got back, he scanned me and it was just like, oh, shit. You know, we've got to we've got to act on this. So I, I went through my last lot of chemotherapy, which is absolutely grueling for my sort of cancer. They really smash you, but it just started to melt away like a hot knife and butter. It just literally just disappeared so quickly. He his jaw was on the floor. He's like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's it's amazing. And it just melted away and wow. disappeared so fast. And that was eight years ago. I never came back. So it was a really important. It wasn't the only thing I did, but it was a very important part. So do you think it's because of what you had done in the Philippines? That was the mixture? Big part of it. You know, I can't, you know, there's a few things I did. You know, obviously I, I did some chemotherapy for my sort of cancer. Even though it had relapses, it was still very sensitive to the treatment. It just wasn't doing the full job. The hypothermia, absolutely, I believe it saved my life. But also I had to make some massive changes in my life. I had to, to sell a, a large health center that I had. I had a big health center with 15 practitioners, yoga hall, cafe, shop, and a lot of, a lot of stress on my plate and not dealing overly well with it and so had to make some big changes there as well and so there was a few moving parts to it and you know I think if I was to isolate one of the parts out that wasn't enough it was my combination that was important that I put together that got me well and this is like for people that are dealing with with cancer we've got to find out like what are your moving parts you know what are your causes the big things that we need to change in your life because people can do exactly what I did and it may not provide the cure for them there's no one magic bullet or approach it's different for each person and individual but that's what i like about the way you work because you look at people's cancer and you look at exactly what the doctors are saying and you work with that and it's a mixture of you know natural things and and science you have to you have to you have to this integrative approach you've got to go above and beyond create your own statistics but that cancer that cancer that the person's got it is them like it's not some invader or anything like that it literally is that person and so you know that cancer is as unique is that person is and so you can get 100 people with breast cancer yet the treatment needs to be different for all those 100 people because they're all 
an individual with different life circumstances and stuff going on in their life and different diets and you know, all the different factors. And so you can't do this cookie cutter approach. And you do know inside you what things make you healthy, what you make you feel good. Like just, you know, you can kind of almost instinctively tell this is working for me. Are you a big believer in like getting the body into ketosis to help stop the spread? Listen, it's an approach. Again, there's more than one way to skin a cat and the ketogenic sort of approach from the dietary perspective, it's a good, valid option. And I do it with with certain people. Again, there's different sorts of diets and you've got to look at that person, where they are at in their journey, what they're capable of as well. Because believe it or not, some people, you know, on the standard Australian diet, which is absolutely shocking. And, you know, just for them to drop out, let's say dairy is a massive ask for them or to drop meat down, you know, out of their diet for a bit is huge for them. You've got someone who might be health conscious, you can stick them on like a methionine restricted diet, which is like a fasting mimicking diet and they're like all over it because they, they have that capability of where they are. So sometimes you've got to start small with someone and start to build momentum with them and sort of build their confidence that they can actually do it. You know, sometimes I think if you're already having such a hard time cutting out the things that you're used to sort of almost being addicted to as a food is, you know, huge. It's it's a lot easier Stressful. said than done. You need that strength of mind, don't you? Totally. And when, when you're like riddled with side effects, if you're doing chemo and like you feel like absolute crap and you, you know, your mouth is full of ulcers and that upset tummy and everything hurts and you're like, you're so fatigued and just foggy, it's really hard to make those aggressive dietary sort of interventions sometimes. It's okay if you're not not on it or earlier in the piece, but you know, someone who's been through, you know, one relapse of cancer, which is super common, they've had a heap of treatment, they're knackered. Like they really are emotionally and physically. You've got to meet the patient where they're at and sort of build them up and support them and get them motivated. And when they do start to feel better, then that's great motivation for them to do more. And sometimes you've got to sort of like snowball it with them. That makes sense. That's what I really like about you, Eddie, is that you're not discouraging people to, you know, stop medical treatment because there are a lot of people out there that do that. I've been hearing a lot about different um, treatment centres around the world. How do we know that they're legit? You know, most of these treatment centres there are, and I, I explored a few of them around the world. You've got places like the Paracelsus Clinic in Switzerland, which is amazing. Got Clinic St. George in uh, Germany. You've got Verita Life in Thailand. There's some in Mexico and Tijuana as well. And these, these are legit places, you know, they're run by legit medical professionals. The sort of limitation with them is the bloody expensive, hey? Like the, most of these clinics are anywhere between eight and $13,000 a week to go to. Yeah, tens um, of thousands of dollars. A week. For a week. And how many yeah. weeks do you need to go? Well, a lot of them have to be there for, you know, up to maybe two months. So people would be selling businesses and houses and... And I've had many people that do it and they mortgage themselves, you know, remortgage the home and do all the stuff, do GoFundMe things and they go over there and they do fantastically well. You know, what they offer at these clinics are amazing because the, the setup and places where you can do some more fringe type treatments that um we're not allowed to do over here australia's medical care is very conservative so the stuff that we can't do you can do overseas and they can do very very well but then they run out of money and they've got to come back and then many of the treatments aren't sustainable so they come back and they're, they're caught up in this beige boring sort of medical system that we have here sometimes you know the cancer can come back and so you've got to be a little bit careful with it but you know these places they are fantastic if you can get over there for extended amounts of time i've seen some amazing you know results happen with with people 
Have you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people like I've got one one lady who had ovarian cancer and her both ovaries were the size of tennis balls, um, cancer in there, and she had no chemotherapy, no medical intervention as such. Went over to Thai clinic, um, Verita Life, and was there for two months. And her ovaries were back down to normal physiological size, normal activity for more intensive purposes. There was no evidence of disease in her body after a huge effort over there for her. Wow. And what happened when she came back? Well, she actually lives overseas. She lives overseas, so she didn't come back to Australia. Last time I've spoken to her, everything is still fine. And this is quite a few months now. So it looks like she's got a you know a successful outcome, but you never want to assume that it's it's successful. You want to, you know, really watch it very, very closely with sort of screening tests and different tests you can do just to make sure because like me, I was cancer free three times, you know, my scans were clear, my blood tests were clear, yet clearly I wasn't. And then bang, six months later, it was back the first time, second time, three months later, it came back. And so you've got to be very hypervigilant with it in the early stage once you've got a successful outcome. So how many years have you been cancer-free for now? I've been eight years, eight years cancer-free since um, that trip to Philippines and coming back and doing my treatment. Wow. So do you live in fear or do yeah, you? I was going to ask that. Like anxiety, every ache or pain you get, do you think? No, no, I don't. So cancer anxiety is a very real thing. I call it cancer It's every cancer patient. Yeah, I've got it and I've never had cancer. <laughs> I've got it and I haven't had cancer either. Know, I'm, well, I'm worried is, that my anxiety is going to give me cancer yeah, well, I worry is so a, much. Yeah, this is the side effect of the, the beautiful internet that we have. You know, too much info sometimes is you know, a bit of a curse sometimes. Um, but yeah, cancer anxiety is a very, very real thing um, and I would be absolutely lying if I said I didn't have that in the early stages, especially with some of my history of, you know, came back three times, do I really trust it this time? And so not letting your guard down for quite a while. But you know, I had very close monitoring, which was important with scans and blood tests, which was which was helpful. You know, the the antidote to anxiety is really having some form of healthy control around you, scaffolding, you know, the tests have been proactive because, you know, with anxiety, if you don't have that safety, that control mechanisms, then the mind wanders on you and it catastrophizes into those really dark worst case scenario places. So we've got to provide some frameworks to hold that mind in the present moment and not be so so anxious. So I was absolutely struggled for a few years, but no, not anymore. No. Um, I've got a very healthy relationship to my diagnosis, what I do for a living now, and I'm quite on the, the front foot with my health, which is really important and um, it doesn't really plague me at all. There are ways things we can do to reduce the risk, you believe, of getting cancer. Obviously, lots of cancers. I've read some um, articles recently about cancers that were predominantly for older people that are now creeping into younger people, like the bowel cancers and the ovarians. And breast cancers. Breast cancers getting younger and younger, these women getting breast cancer. I've got 20-year-olds coming in, like 26, 28-year-olds sometimes with stage four breast cancer, which was never the case. It was always sort of like- This is not helping for my anxiety. Yeah, late 30s, 40s. was your sort of usual sort of diagnosis range, but now we're seeing some youngsters come through. But absolutely, there are so many things you can do to decrease your risk of of cancer. The biggest risk factor, believe it or not, is age. Age. Stay young. (laughs) Age. Believe it or not, age is the biggest risk factor. So don't get hold. (laughs) (laughs) How come they're coming in younger and younger? What do you put that down to? think, you know, we're, we're living more crazy, hectic lives. So, you know, we are surrounded in a bit of a toxic soup of chemistry, you know, all these personal care products with plasticizers in there and all the goopy chemicals that, you know, don't have any place in the human body. You know, they're everywhere if we're not being conscious about cleaning up our environment with these these products that we might use on the body. You know, the food chains, unfortunately, a bit polluted if we're not eating or growing our own food or buying organic if we can. 
In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Do you think that, like, deodorants with aluminium in them and all that sort of stuff, do you think, is that a load of garbage or is that valid? There's absolute validity to these things. These metals, things like aluminium or you might find, you know, some of the heavier metals, which you might find in, in deodorants Heavy like metals, mercuries yeah. and arsenics and cadmiums and things that we all get exposed to. We can't not get exposed to because we live in a toxic modern world. So we've got to... We've got to mitigate our risk, so we've got to try to clean up our environment. So if we are using things like deodorants, well, can we get some cleaner, greener ones? There's so many on the market. All the punters want this stuff, and so the, you know, this company is producing these. It's just we've got to look for them. They're in your local supermarket. They're there. They might be on the bottom shelf, not the, you know, the the prime real estate in front of your eyes, but they might be a bit further down or a different section or the health food aisle maybe or something like that. But yeah, they're absolutely. You know, this mm-hmm. is all chemistry. You know, we're surrounded by chemistry and this chemistry enters our body and it tells our body what to do, you know, and it can tell it to be strong and healthy if we feed ourselves right, you know, food, the way we breathe, the the products that we use, or we can, you know, put crappy chemistry into us and that's going to influence the body and Mm. done over a long enough period of time, you're going to see dysfunction in the body, which can lead to chronic complex conditions like autoimmune conditions or maybe a cancer or something like that. So these are risk factors that we have control over. We can clean up our environment. We can buy these beautiful clean green type products and upgrade our makeups and moisturizers and soaps and things that we do. Um, Obviously, age is one that we can't really escape from, but we can support our body to age really healthily with good diet. You know, diet's yep. a huge risk factor as well. Eat better. You know, get more vegetables into your diet. More fruit and veggies, as simple as that. Decrease the amount of ultra-processed foods in our diet, these packages and canned products that sometimes creep into our diet. You know, those things aren't good for anybody's health, you know, in particular someone with, with a diagnosis. So, you know, getting some of that stuff out of it our body weight's a really important one as well. So obesity is a major risk factor and, you know, many, many people out there are struggling with weight because we've got these ultra-processed foods in our diet and we're all stressed and we're not as active because these crazy lives are, are very busy. And so making sure that we're, we're keeping on top of our... That's very interesting that you say that because mm. me, I had this conversation with Claudia recently where, you know, if you lose weight, which I've recently done, you get a lot of like, oh, you know, you're being superficial and that, this and that. And I'm going... If more people knew that my body weight being higher is as dangerous to me as smoking is, then, you know, because it increases my risks of getting cancer, the same as smoking would, then people wouldn't be persecuting you for losing it. Yeah, and you do it for health reasons. Sometimes that's more about them than it is you, isn't it? You know, that makes them feel uncomfortable because they don't have the motivation to go out and start to clean their diet up and get moving. And so they project down onto you and sort of try to hold you back to make themselves feel better sometimes. So got to take agency over our health. Absolutely. We can't put our health into someone else's hands. We've got to take responsibility for it. And who cares what anyone else says? You know, make the changes that you have to do. And hopefully they come along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I always put it down to weight. Like, I'm a 40 year old woman who's married. Like, I don't need to look hot. And I feel like I look hot even when I'm voluptuous. So it's like, I mean, so I put it down to health, not weight. I just think one thing that does bother me is the idea of getting a cancer or dying young when I could have, 
I could have avoided that. Do you know what I mean? That's something I couldn't live with. It's not the idea of of being called fat, you know what I mean, by someone that I don't care about. Like that's nothing compared to your life. I guess you would have a lot of those sort of confronting moments with people where it's like, oh, my God, how could I have ever cared about anything, you know, the little things that you spend your life stressing about and then you have a diagnosis and it's like a reality check. Changes everything. People getting cancers younger and I've had a couple of people probably about four people in the last 18 months I know have positive test results from the government bowel screening test. All got caught really early, but there was one that was quite severe. And this person went into hospital um, thinking that they were going to come out with a colonoscopy bag and they got it all and that person didn't. But they're all ju- you know, just on 50. Do you think that these things should be like lowered, you know, so that people are getting tested a bit younger or is that like a bit of an alarmist thing? What's your view on that? Early detection f- is always the best thing possible. Much, much better outcomes when we can pick it up in the early, early stages. It's just some things can be picked up early like colorectal cancer because usually there can be a bit of bleeding in the bowel. But with colorectal cancer, it's a very slow development process. It can be anywhere between, believe it or not, 10 to 15 years before you get diagnosed. Like the initial changes in the bowel could be a decade before. So there's, I, th- I think like with the, the screening age, I think it starts at 50. I think it, it is. Um, don't quote me on that. Generally, uh, most cancers are diagnosed you know, post 50. Um, that's where the majority of, of sort of cancers do just because aging is that big risk factor. So there may be a limited benefit from pushing it too far back, you know, for testing teenagers, stuff like that, what's, mm. what's the point? But um, certainly it seems to be creeping down and down and down um, and they're very useful because, again, if you can pick it up super early, the intervention is also smaller. It's not so severe. The more advanced the cancer is, the more brutal the treatments are, unfortunately. Yeah, there's benefits, but some cancers don't have these screening. I guess it's just know your body and do those tests when they come in. Like ovarian cancer, relatively rare one for, for females. There's no screening method for that yet. A scary one, though. It is. It's very tough very to treat. Very scary, isn't it? Very serious. Very and a lot serious, of the symptoms very are very hard to treat, not very good noticeable. outcomes, unfortunately. But it is absolutely possible. I've got patients that are, have been stage four, you know, ovarian cancer that are still alive today, you know, many, many years on. It's totally possible. But, you know, the, the symptoms for ovarian cancer are very vague. You, know, you could put it down to just IBS or all sorts of things. And there's no blood tests as, as such, you know, like a screening method that, that can pick it up. So it can be really tricky. Most cancers, but once they're diagnosed, if they don't have a screening method, they're usually already advanced. And so you're already in the thick of the journey by the time you actually get a diagnosis. That's what's so scary about it, you know? Is there any way that you can get an earlier, like, because you know how often doctors will say to you, no, there's nothing wrong. And that's what happened to me with my ulcerative colitis diagnosis. They kept saying, you've probably just got internal hemorrhoids. They said it over and over again because I had had a baby. I, had adult. I just had to keep going and pushing. And I even had a doctor say to me, she like looks away from her computer. You know when they look away from the computer and they look at you, you know, they're about to get condescending. And she was like, Constance, I guess our concern is that, you know, once we do prove to you that this is just internal hemorrhoids, you're going to be back with something else that you think you've got. And I was like, I'm bleeding from my ass, love. Like, don't tell me, you know what I mean? Like, don't tell me that I'm being crazy. So I ended up taking myself to ER and finally in ER, in ER this doctor looked at me and he goes, you are very sick, young lady. And I was like, Thank you. I've gone to the mm. toilet 45 times in the last hour. And then they did the, the the thing and then they said to me, you know, you've got chronic ulcerative colitis and you need to do this and this and this, all of which I didn't do because the steroids and the medication they gave me didn't work. Like it hardly worked. I mean, it did at some points, but then 10 years after my diagnosis, I've jumped online and I've looked up. When I first got diagnosed, I did this as well, but I didn't find anything. Now I looked up uh, natural cures for ulcerative colitis 
And I found this like brand called Eva Nature and they had like this Cura D and it's curcurum, but something else is in the curcurum that makes your body actually absorb. Curcurum is the active ingredient in turmeric for anyone that doesn't know, but you can take turmeric. Yeah, you can take turmeric pills for like until the cows come home and it doesn't actually give you an active like reduction in inflammation. Whereas these pills just did. I'm telling you, Eddie, it cured chronic colitis for me I now go to the bathroom like a normal person and I hadn't done that in 10 years and and it's all natural and not on any steroids yeah Yeah, that's why I've got this newfound appreciation for natural remedies because I always thought before that you know they don't if you need the conventional medicine if you need something to really work but to actually see them working better than steroids was incredible yeah listen yeah I don't know where I was going with this Uh, it know. worked. Good for you. It, you know, it works works for you. It's amazing. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that the doctors are ignoring people. I hope you got rid of that GP. She sounds like well, not for you. you know your own body. This you know? is again, you know, the importance of being a, your own advocate and being on the front foot with your own health and having agency over your journey. You know if something's wrong. You know that that doctor. You get mm-hmm. to see them. The average doctor appointment somewhere between five and seven minutes, I believe. You know, and usually their di- their their prescription or their uh, decision on what's wrong with you usually happens within the first twelve seconds, believe it or not. Um, and so you, mm-hmm. you get bugger all time with them. You know wow. your body. You spend all day and night with your body. You know it better than anyone else. You are your best doctor. It's just you may not have the terms and the frameworks. Yep. And so it's about working with people that can help you to help yourself. And this is what you know holistic medicine's a little bit better at you know it's not about doctor bashing here you know what they do they can do some amazing things with their yep. surgeries that they do and their infectious disease control they're amazing but if you talk to any honest doctor about the more chronic complex conditions like autoimmune conditions like you know colitis and ulcerative colitis all these things or cancers or even mental health stuff as well they they don't have a lot to offer yeah. They don't. It's not their strength. Whereas holistic medicine, working with someone like a good naturopath or someone in that holistic type realm, we can look a little bit broader into the body. Like, what does this disease mean in the context of your life? And also, we can do different testings and not just write it off as, oh, no, it's just a hemorrhoid or something like that. We can look a bit deeper into it. You actually investigate. Definitely, definitely. Otherwise, you know, you just get palmed off. And so many people, by the time they get diagnosed, especially with an autoimmune Mm. condition, usually it's years down the track and they've seen a bunch load of doctors and ologists, you know, all the different specialists before actual Mm. diagnosis comes along. And so it's years of suffering, you know, because they're they're sort of chasing symptoms. Um, And, you know, sometimes you can just test a little bit deeper and see what these symptoms mean in the broader context and figure out what's going on for that person. That's stuff that I love to do with people, but we've got to take agency over our health journey. Can I ask you, Eddie, last night I had a little quick stalk of your Instagram, okay. naturally, and I noticed that you're into the ice bath. Yeah. I've just, yeah. my husband, I've just bought one. Oh, great. What's the best thing that you've noticed from it? Like, what did you originally start doing it for? And like, can you tell us about the benefits? And- yeah. So for me, a big part of my cancer journey, because it does sort of relate back to that, was, you know, the amount of stress that I was under and my ability to regulate my nervous system and my emotions and all those things that are wrapped up in, in stress. And I became very passionate after getting well from cancer around understanding the role that stress has on human health and how 
powerful it is and if we don't manage it well how powerful it is on destroying our health and so it sent me down very many wormholes into nervous system and nervous system regulation this is where the ice bathing stuff and the breath work all came up because the ice bath is such a powerful stressor on your nervous system and if you're you're practicing regulating your nervous system in the face of that storm being the ice bath you get to practice stress in a way and the more that you do of that on a consistent way when the stresses of life come to you you've got half a chance of keeping yourself regulated in the face of those storms of life so i'm a huge fan of of you know the ice bath and breath works i do workshops where people come along and we, we practice the nervous system regulation stuff and chuck them into a, a very cold ice bath to see well how can you regulate your nervous system and here's a stress for it let's see what you can do here so huge fan of it so so beneficial do you ever come across anyone who can't do it? Like I can't, I've tried so many times. I believe in the benefits and I'm ADD and the cold water really helps me regulate my yeah. brain. And like she struggles getting into my swimming pool, Eddie, which yeah, is like yeah. not Yeah, I can't get bath. into her pool and I can't get into <laughs> yeah. anything. It's yeah. just, I'm terrible with cold. I've, I've been doing these workshops for probably Is that just me being a bit- <laughs> I've, I think you can do it. No. I've been doing these workshops for probably the last four years. So I've had hundreds and hundreds of people hop into these these ice baths that I've got. And I think over those four years, I've had about two people that haven't that had to jump out. They've gone in, but they'd had to jump out one um the woman's but they got in. Yeah, they got in, but the anxiety for one of these ladies got in and into her head and she just had to hop out. That was so cool. She came back, she hopped back in and did it, you know, down the track. So she she conquered that. But it, right. in that moment, it really got on top cool. of her. The other one was a big bodybuilding guy. It was a big muscly guy and he just, I don't know if his ego could handle it. You know, people were watching him and he really struggled with it because he tried to fight the process. Um, and you don't fight when you're in mm. the ice bath because you will not win. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah, you've just got to surrender and, and breathe. Go but, with it, yeah. But I find, you know, when you understand what's going on within your body, so you have that knowledge, you understand, oh, this is my nervous system doing that and I know why it does that. When you hop in there and then all that stuff starts to happen when you jump in, then you can try to challenge that and keep yourself in that regulated state to gain the benefit. You really only need to be in a nice bath for 60 to 90 seconds before all the hormonal release happens and it all gets a hell of a lot easier. Generally, most people stay in for somewhere between three and five minutes, but it's really the first 60 to 90 seconds that are hard work. Um, by that stage, you've had this huge release of something called norepinephrine, which is like a numbing agent, and so your body actually starts to feel comfortable in it. And it doesn't really matter if you didn't do 10 minutes wow. after that. Um, it's just that first little storm when it rolls in. You just got to try to hold yourself there, work with your breath. That's the biggest one. That's why we do all the breathing practices with the stuff. It sounds like childbirth. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what happens to me when I go into the ocean. It's really cold. I feel like I can't breathe. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a stress breath, I call but it. But also, I can't even do breath work. Like, mm. oh, I think let's. I think we need to do Eddie's workshop. Yeah, come along. I know. Let's do it. Fun. I was just thinking that as well. Yeah, lots of fun. You can do yeah, it. I'd love let's to do, do it. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and can another thing that has been playing on my mind is: is there any supplements that you take that you wouldn't live without, and you believe everyone should have to increase in their diet? Yeah, listen, um, I'm not a huge one on supplements. Like I do, I take them, but I'm not a huge like prescriber in my practice because you know health really comes from change in our life and it's just it's what we suck at you know human beings suck at change you know we are creatures of habit and we we would much prefer to have you know the bottle of magic pills that you know makes all the, the stuff go away but i do use a few things so i again the nervous system stuff's very important to me so always taking herbs that support our adrenal glands and our nervous system so these are herbs like some of the ginsengs or it could be licorice romania there's a few herbs that are adrenal tonics that they really help to to bolster uh, our stress coping pathways within the body 
body. The medicinal mushrooms as well are fantastic for this, reishi, cordyceps mushroom, turkey tail. So I always take something that's got those sorts of things in it. One of your best supplements for your biggest return on investment for your health is omega-3 fatty acids. So the reason why you know people tell you you know eat a Mediterranean diet or eat more fish in your diet or take fish oil capsules, these are the omega-3s. They impact so much in the body. If you had to choose, if I had to choose one supplement to take, if I only could only choose one, it'd probably be the omega-3s because they just impact your mental health, the anti-inflammatory, they're great for your, your, your brain function, they're great for skin, hair, nails, hormones. They just, they affect so much, you know, quality fats in the diet. So I take one of those. I take a multivitamin. And a good quality one. Yeah, good so quality is that, one, is that a, a fish one. oil? Yeah, fish oil. That- but it's like with any any supplement, any chemical, it's it's the dose that makes it a medicine or a poison. You know, some people take it because I've read an article and they start taking this thing and they're taking like a little pinch of it and it doesn't really do squat. You've got to get the right dose. And like with mega three fats, you need a fair whack of them into you. So you can buy more concentrated ones. You've got to get really clean ones as well. There are really cheap ones if you go to your pharmacy and Coles and Woolies or your supermarket. They can sometimes have really cheap ones, which are great if you, you know you want a cheap product, but they can sometimes be you know, old. Sometimes they can be rancid, um, and sometimes they can have high levels of heavy metals in there, like mercury, because they're a cheaper, unrefined, unpurified product, which isn't good for your health. So you want to spend a bit more on a decent, stronger one, which you can source really easily. You don't have to go anywhere fancy for these things. It's just looking out for the right ones and getting the right dose into. So yeah, mega threes, a good multi just to fill some of the gaps in a in a diet. You know, the modern world, unfortunately, we've got pretty food, but a little bit empty food. So sometimes we need just a little bit of gap filling. You know. We the multivitamin just to fill up any gaps that we don't get in the food. And really, that's that's it for me. I'm not a huge one for supplements. I'd much rather make the changes in my life. For me, what keeps me well is my stress management and my work-life balance and my life balance. That's the biggest lesson I learned from cancer is I've got to keep the balance in my life because it was so out of balance. Um, and that's what keeps me well. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And that's so hard oh, sometimes. It's, it's brutally hard sometimes. Um, and do you ever just go... Yeah, it is. And, I, and it, it creeps into you and you don't even know. And I never used to be like this. I used yeah. to always be like, how could people be stressed and how could people spend their life doing this? And before I knew it, it was me. But um, do you ever just go, I'm going to drink a bottle of scotch and vape all night? <laughs> or are you like... <laughs> <And> vape all night? <laughs> um, <that's> a- <laughs> I've never vaped it before, but um, yeah, sometimes I think it's good to go out and sort of blow the, blow the pipes out, you know, let the steam off and have some fun doing it. You know, life can get really, really yep. serious sometimes, you know, and if you get too, too down that wormhole of stress and being so strict with your, your health practices and your exercise and your diet, there's actually, believe it or not, there's a, a new addition to uh, the diagnosis manual, the DSM uh, five, I think it is now, which is a diagnostic statistical manual, which is all your psychiatric illnesses or psychological illnesses and the diagnosis criteria for them. There's a new one that they put in there called orthorexia, and orthorexia is health anxiety, and and it's getting more and more common because people are, have the internet and they have all the oh, information there, but it's maybe not in 
context to them and what they need to yeah. do, but it creates so much anxiety for them around their health that they go too far totally. down. Then they don't know what to bloody do. What do I eat? Everything's going to yeah. kill me. Or, yes. you know, that sort of exercise bad for me or this or that. I've got to exercise till the cows come home. Yeah. And it also can make you do the opposite. Like it can make me go, do you know what? I'm not doing any of this because I've heard so totally. many fucking yeah. conflicting yeah. things that our mm. veggies don't have enough fruit, that our fruit that, you know, so what's the even yeah. point? I'm going to yeah. live on yeah, everything's going to yeah. kill you everything yeah. anyway. And so so balance, whatever. Again, yeah. balance. Balance in our life, balance in our relationship to our life and to our food to our exercise regimes it's that it's that middle path you know that you know in buddhism they talk about the middle path they don't go too far one way or the other find that that middle zone that works for you and because you know if you go too far one way it creates stress you go too far the other way then you know you're going to get some health implications find a balance that works for you and that's different for everyone and this is about meeting the patient when i'm a, a, in, in clinic it's meeting the person where they're at you can have all the best science in the world for doing this but you look at the you know poor little Granny, and it's just like she's not going to do that, you know. It's just like, what can you do? All right, well, you're exercising. <laughs> I okay. had a whole block of chocolate last night. Yeah, did you love it though? <laughs> so I'm going to go have an ice bath <laughs> and a salad today. <laughs> yeah. And that's balance. Yeah. And that's balance. Um, <laughs> Eddie, quickly, I read this article about the Nobel Peace Prize winner in 2015, and how it was, I think, a Japanese researcher or, or doctor, maybe, but they discovered that after I think 16 hours of a water fast, your intestines start creating something called. I can't remember the word, apinothy. Uh, or autophagy, ap- autophagy, something. yes, autophagy. Ooh, autophagy, yeah. that's it. God, you're smart. <laughs> and, that, and that sends out <laughs> like anti-cancer cells and starts to like kill the bad ones because we all have cells in our body, don't yes. we, that could potentially turn absolutely, into absolutely. Listen, cancerous listen, cancer cells. Listen, cancer is a, a normal phenomenon of the body. Now, the C word has so much emotion wrapped up in it, yeah? You, you think of that, you think of the chemo patient, you know, that's all gaunt and, you know, fading away. But, you know, cancer is a normal function of the body it happens every day for both of you anywhere up to 200 to 2000 times a day you may get cancer which is just a mutated cell take all the emotion out of it it's a cell that's lost some that's had some mutations to it and it's lost its ability to regulate its growth cycles and so this happens and we have a whole part of our immune system dedicated to cleaning that up and seeking it out called the cell mediated immune system and we have these killer t cells you know rock star um, t cells or uh, white blood cells is what they are and they their sole job the natural killer cells is to look for cancer and gobble them up like little pac-man and so when you do the like extended fasting whether that's time restricted eating or water fasting for a you know, a period of time because your immune system doesn't have to clean up from your diet and all the stuff that you're doing. It's got some spare time on its hands. It can then, under this this process called autophagy, it can go and do a bit of spring cleaning and clean up some of this dead old aging cells and potentially cancer cells as well. And this is why it's good if you're worried about cancer, making sure your immune system's robust and strong. So A, getting enough vitamin D in your sunlight exposure can get your blood test and get your vitamin D levels nice and high. Take these medicinal mushrooms are one of the most powerful things for our immune systems, reishis, turkey tails, cordyceps, just just superfood for our immune system. So yeah, autophagy is a, a very real thing. You know, having periods where we don't eat is a very real and healthy thing for us to do. Fasting, yeah, fasting, different sorts of fasting. Bit of fasting. It's been great for my weight as well. On a personal note, Eddie, I just want to let you know that I'm very wary of most men, everyone that I meet. But when I met you, your ex-wife had the most lovely things to say about you, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know any ex-wife that speaks lovely about their ex-husband. Because I was like, Oh my god, is that Eddie? And she was like, Yeah, he's amazing. 
amazing. <laughs> He's so lovely. And I just thought, wow, what great people. Before we go, I will let you go because I know that we're at time. But I know you're WA based, which is why we're coming for our ice bath. But if anyone in, in Australia or the rest of the world wanted to talk to you, do you take on clients from like that aren't in Perth or do you need that face to face? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, tra- I treat people all over all over the country in, in Australia and I've got international clients as well. So, you know, this, this modern world and these computers allow us to talk to anyone anywhere. So, yeah, no, none of that's a barrier whatsoever. Awesome. awesome. So we're going to put all of Eddie's um, details in the show notes for anyone that wants to reach out to him because I just think ever since I've found out about him, I've, he's popped up in my head so many times because it, you just give that bit of hope and also like, a second opinion from an otherwise pretty grim situation. Yeah. Mm. Listen, listen which you know, is it's what absolutely possible to recover from from cancer. You know, if I can do it, why can't you do it, or why can't anybody do it? Like I always say to people, it takes one person to prove that is possible, and there are thousands upon thousands of people. Books written about these thousands of people that have done it, so you can do it too. Awesome. Amazing. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thanks, Eddie. Thanks. Get that ice bath ready. We're coming. I'm done. It's always and ready. And the breath work. I'm coming for that yeah. too. Awesome. Can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. Thank you so Take much. care, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of To Be Frank. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, be sure to click follow. And leaving a review helps others find the podcast. Join us next time as we explore more interesting topics and people from all over the world. 